Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, Lord, and we just are so blessed that we're your children, that we can know you in an intimate and a personal way, that the creator of the universe can be our best friend and that you love us so much. Father, as we go to your word tonight, I pray, Lord, you would just prepare each one of our hearts to see from the example of Moses, just to see the sovereignty, your sovereignty and your perfect will, how no man can stop it. And Lord, I just pray that we would learn from the example of the, the trials that Moses went through, the Lord, how you use those to prepare him for your work. And Lord, how you're preparing each one of us when we go through trials for ministry, to be able to reach out to others and to be conformed more to your image. So Lord, we just ask that you bless our time in the Word tonight. Again, that you alone would be our teacher, that our hearts would be prepared to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. By way of quick overview from last week, when we got to Exodus, we talked about the fact that after over 400 years of growth in Egypt, the infant nation Israel was now ready to leave behind the chain of bondage and seek a homeland. Exodus narrates that the liberation of the, the, the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt. But we know it was a 400 years that they would spend before they would be liberated from their time there. We know that we've talked about Moses being a type of Christ, that he's the author of the book, he's the main character of the book, and we're going to look at his birth tonight. We'll see the deliverance uh, of him in his infancy tonight, and how that just like as a picture of Jesus Christ, when Jesus was born, King Herod was trying to wipe out all the babies, you know, Satan's plan to destroy God's plan. And you know what? Satan's plan will never destroy God's plan, no matter how hard he tries. Amen? Satan's defeated, and he's foolish enough to think he still has a chance. But guess what? He's done. And I've read the, the last part of the Bible, and guess what? We win. Amen? Satan goes into hell. He's cast in a lake of fire for all eternity, but he's going to go down swinging. Bible says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And so in the time of Moses, he planned in the heart of Pharaoh to wipe out all the children. We're going to look at that tonight. Two of the basic themes in the book of Exodus is redemption and deliverance. We're going to see the picture of redemption as we get to the Passover, and we see that, that through shed blood we are redeemed. And then we'll see deliverance as they're delivered out of bondage. Now last week we saw Israel's rapid growth, God's covenant promise being fulfilled as the nation grew from 70 people to several million. We also saw last week Israel's severe affliction. We saw how the king had hatred toward them. It said a king arose who did not know Joseph. And once there was one who didn't know Joseph and see the blessing of Joseph, he had hatred toward Israel. Man, there's too many of them. We've got to wipe them out. And again, I talked about how that, in a way, we see a picture of that in the church today. How the world has a hatred towards Christianity. And the reason that they do, I mean you know, we're considered the great enemy, is because people do not want to be convicted about their sin. That's why we see even churches today watering down the gospel, because we don't want any conviction. We don't want anybody to tell us that we're sinners in need of a Savior. But what's awesome to me is as Israel's affliction grew, they grew in number. They did not give up because of difficulty in their walk, and that's only possible if God is on our side. And then lastly, we saw their planned extinction as he called in the midwives, if you remember last week, and he told them, whenever babies are born, I want you to kill them. And the midwives refused. They said, absolutely not. We won't do it. And they refused to do it. And they honored the Lord. So this week we're going to pick up. And we're going to look at Moses, a type of Christ. He's going to be a prophet, a priest, a deliverer, a king. He'll be in danger and infancy just like Jesus. He will voluntarily give up wealth and the throne to live a life as a servant. We'll see him renounce his power and his wealth. We'll see that he's a lawgiver and a mediator. So in chapter 2 tonight, here's what we're going to see. The birth and protection of Moses in Egypt and the sovereignty of God. And then we're going to see Moses escape into Midian. 
We're going to see the reason for his escape. We're going to see Moses' marriage to Zipporah. And then we're going to see the crying out of the children of Israel. So let's begin at looking at the birth and protection of Moses in Egypt. Let's read beginning in verse 22. It says, So Pharaoh commanded all his people, of chapter 1, So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. So that when the midwives would not kill the, the new babies of the people of Israel, the king said, all right, I'm going next step. He called all of his people and he said, any one of you who sees a Hebrew baby, if it's a boy, I want you to throw it in the river and drown it. So this is an edict to all men. And pharaohs were known for being vicious. So there was a fear that if we, did not, if we don't comply, then we could face consequences ourselves. So the edict went out throughout all the land that if you see a Hebrew baby, you are to throw it into the river and drown it. You want to talk about an attack on your people. So just as it would be in the days of Jesus, the same satanic plan is at work to put to death God's chosen people. So let's take a book, look at verse 1. It said, And a man of the house of Levi went, to, and went and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. Now, we know from Exodus chapter 6 that Moses' parents' name were Amram and Joshebet. They were both of the tribe of Levi. Now, I want to take a minute and talk about this, because this is a picture of God's grace. Those of you who are here in the Genesis study, remember that on Jacob's deathbed, that he addressed all of his sons. And he started with Reuben, and because Reuben had committed adultery and slept with his stepmother, he told him that he would not inherit the birthright. But then he moved on to Simeon and Levi, and he said, you know what, because you guys were cruel and vicious, because you went out and you put people to death, because you stepped outside of my will, you too will not inherit the birthright. Matter of fact, it said that they would be scattered throughout all of Israel, that they would not even have a land or a property or a dwelling. They would have to dwell in the lands of their brothers. So they would lose out on their inheritance. Now, what's it, not their inheritance, excuse me, but the blessing. They would still be one of his sons, but they would not be blessed the way the other brothers would. But what I love about this is that here we come some several hundred years later, and as the deliverer is being born, he's born out of the tribe of Levi. This, to me, is a picture of God's grace. You know, I was, I, just recently I've been counseling a lot of people, and this is a theme I hear a lot. You know, I blew it so much in my early life, there's no way God could possibly use me now. Pastor Dave, you just don't know my past. I mean, I did this, or I did that, or man, I, I was such a wicked person, I was so sinful, and there's just no way that God could possibly use me. I mean, I know I'm disqualified, I, I know I can come to church, but I know there's not much more I can do because of all these things that I've done. And you know what? The Apostle Paul, what was he like before he became the author of most of the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit? He was killing Christians, right? Amen? So no matter what you've done, probably there are most of you have not gone out and been slaying Christians with swords or anything, right? I mean, so no matter what we've done, God is a gracious and a merciful God. And we see it here in the tribe of Levi, in that God would reach down and take these people who had, been, had lost their birthright, but now God was going to use them mightily. And you know why he's going to? Because they had shown faithfulness toward him. You know, in Exodus, in chapter 32... We're going to see Moses come down from the mountain after speaking to God. And when he comes down, he's going to find a party going on. Debauchery. They're worshiping the golden calf, right? Aaron, oh yeah, well we just threw gold in there and this calf popped out. Yeah, it was just a total miracle. All right, Aaron. So Aaron's a liar and an idol maker, okay? And so they come down and they see this big party going on. And 
we see Moses come forward. He says, those of you who want to be on God's side, come to me. And it says in Genesis 32, verse 26, Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. You know what? God saw that there had been a change of heart in Levi, in the tribe of Levi. All of them came and stood on God's side. And we know that those that didn't stand on God's side, that literally the ground opened up and swallowed the people. I think God was serious when he saw that they were idol worshipers. Our God is a God of love and grace and mercy, but he's also a God of judgment when we go contrary to his will. And so, praise God that past sin and separation from God can be wiped out through repentance and leading a faithful walk with the Lord. And praise God that, the, that Levi, I love this, that they're of the house of Levi is going to come Moses. And I love that. Praise the Lord for God's grace. So, if you're here tonight and you've gone through difficulties and you've blown it, join the club because that's all of us in the room. Amen? If everybody who's ever blown it couldn't be in ministry, then we'd just all go home. There'd be nobody speaking, nobody leading worship. We'd be done, right? So praise the Lord for His grace. And I want to encourage you that if you're breathing in and out, God's not through with you. Amen? He still has stuff He wants to do with you. Verse 2. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Now Moses' parents defied the decree, which was that they were to take their child out and drown it. Now can you imagine... If they made that decree in the United States, there, it would be World War III. Because if someone showed up at my house wanting to drown one of my kids, I'm sorry. Literally over my dead body. Amen? There, no, I don't think so. No, we're not, no, we're not doing that. We're, no, we're not. And so they said, you know what? We don't care what men say. We care what God says. And God has told us that we're not going to kill our children. So we're not doing it. And it says there that he was beautiful. And the, the word there is that it means that he was precious in the sight of God. God had a plan for Moses from the very beginning. It says in Hebrews 11, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was beautiful, or fair to God, and they were not afraid of the king's command. Faith in God will overcome the fear of man every single time. You know, it's been said, I remember when we were in Russia one time, I've told you guys this story, and we were, I was there with about... 17 or 18 teenagers and we're sitting in our hotel and and it was at the time in like 92 or 93 it was my second or third trip there but they started bombing their own white house they were trying to overthrow their own president and they were bombing their own white house well you could see the white house out our window from our hotel and there was upheaval and there was rioting in the street and we were supposed to be going to schools to preach the gospel and standing out on street corners telling people about Jesus. And I'll never forget sitting in a circle with these 17 teenagers. And some parents were trying to get a hold of us, pretty hard to get a hold of people in Russia, but we were getting messages from headquarters through emails and things like that. And what I loved is every one of these kids was excited about what God was going to do. Because they said, you know what? God's, God's faithful. God brought us here. God's in control. God knows. And it was the most precious prayer time I think I've had in my life as 18 teenagers just prayed for two hours excited about what God was going to do. And you know what? When you trust in God and you have faith in God, you have nothing to fear. Amen? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. God is faithful. God is in control. You know, if someone shoots me in the head, where am I? You can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? 
You know, you blow me away, and all you're going to do is send me to paradise. So it's all good. It doesn't matter. And you know what? They said, you know, we're not going to honor men. We're going to honor God. And we're not going to drown our son. And they put him into hiding for three months. And God watched over him. So Moses' parents act by faith in God's ability to solve their problem. You've got to realize that having this son was not, they didn't have to hide him for a week. They would literally have to hide him forever. Because as he got older, they would say, wait a minute, how old is he? Because this edict just came out right at the time of Moses. There should be no baby boys from, of Hebrews at all, period, anywhere. So if he starts getting to be six, eight months old and walking around, they're going to come after him. So they just trusted that God would solve their problem, and they had faith in the Lord. So take a look at verse 3. You've heard of Noah's Ark? This is Joshebed's Ark. How many knew there's two arks in the Bible? This is Joshebed's Ark. It says, verse 3, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. Now, this is, takes a great deal of faith as well. Can you imagine having your son in your home for three months and this precious little innocent baby, taking that baby and putting the baby in, a, in an ark that you made, and you use pitch. It's interesting that that's the same element that Noah used to hold his ark together is the same element used to hold this ark together. Both arks are a typology or a picture of Christ in that anything that was placed into the ark, just like being placed into Christ, was saved. Anything outside of the ark in Noah's ark died. Amen? So he places this baby into the ark, puts it, says, Lord, I trust you. I'll put the baby into your hands. No doubt she had heard him and directed by God. And she takes the baby down and she puts him into the river. It's actually ironic that in a sense she's following the command of Pharaoh who had said, any Hebrew baby who is born, I want you to toss them into the river. Well, she happened to put him in a boat before she tossed him into the river, but she did put him in the ark. She put him into the river and she set him there. Verse 4. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. We know from later texts that he has an older brother named Aaron, and he had an older sister named Miriam. So Miriam goes down to the, to the side of the bank, and they put the ark into the, to the water, and she stands afar off to see what is going to happen to her little brother. So Josephed's actions were filled with, uh, were, with incredible faith. It was an act directed by God to place him afloat in, in, in that exact spot, in that exact time, and to watch and see what would happen. Now watch and see the sovereignty of God. I love how God is in control of everything. Everything. You know, some people say, oh, we should only pray about, you know, cancer. Yeah, pray about cancer, but, you know, you don't need to pray about, you know, little stuff. You don't need to pray about which class you should take in school. That's, you know, whatever class you take is fine. You, should, you don't have to pray about, you know, what schedule to pick up or what thing. Yeah, we do. I think we need to pray about everything. Amen? I need, you know what? I don't feel like I could take my feet and set them out of my bed in the morning if I have not spent time in God's presence, seeking His will, seeking His face, asking to guide and lead and direct every path of my, of my day. Amen? And seek after Him. And so we're going to see the sovereignty of God, that He is in control of every aspect. It says, verse 5, Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. Now, do you think it's by chance that the daughter of Pharaoh just happened to pick that moment to go down to the river? You think that's just a, a fluke incident, right? You know what? I hate the word good luck. You know what? As Christians, we don't need good luck. Amen? No such thing. Good luck. What is that? That's saying that things just happen by chance. We don't need good luck. We need faithfulness of God, trust in God, amen? I don't need good luck, I need the Lord. And so by God's divine plan before the foundation of the world, 
before he spoke the stars into the sky, he knew that Pharaoh's daughter was going to go down to the river and she was going to bathe at that exact moment and that would be that this was God's divine plan. And we need to trust him. So it, so it says that she went down to the river and her maidens walked along the riverside and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. Now, this miraculous turn of events is going to turn Pharaoh's cruel an unusual desire to kill all the babies and turn it into a blessing from God, used for God's glory. Why? Because had he not given this edict, then the baby would not have had to have been put in an ark. If the baby had not had to be put in an ark, then it would not be found by Pharaoh's daughter. If, it were not found by, if Moses were not found by Pharaoh's daughter, then Moses would not be raised in Pharaoh's home. But all of this was part of God's perfect plan, and watch and see as it developed. God's sovereignty at work. So this daughter comes down at the precise time. She sees the ark among the reeds. God made it happen. Now watch what happens in verse 6. And went, or verse 5, excuse me. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe the river. She saw the ark among the reeds, sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the t- child, and behold, the baby wept. I want to tell you that God's sovereignty made Moses cry. You know Why? Because look at the rest of the verse. So she had compassion on him. Why did she have compassion on Moses? Because he began to weep. Why was he weeping? Because it was a part of God's plan. Why was she bathing? Because God said so. I mean, every single aspect of this all happened in perfect timing, according to God's perfect will. It was God's sovereign plan. So she moves, her heart is moved with compassion. And she said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Now, this is interesting, because what is her calling? She's Pharaoh's daughter. Do you think she knows what the command is? She's the daughter of Pharaoh. Of course she does. The command was, if you see a a Hebrew child, you are to drown it. But here she sees the child, God moves upon her heart with compassion, and she looks at the child, and instead of drowning the child, she desires to save the child. This is all part of God's perfect plan. Knowing Pharaoh's edict, his daughter's possibly the only one who could knowingly ignore it and get away with it. And she does. Look at verse 7. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Now, is it by chance that Miriam is standing right there when the baby is taken out of the ark and she sees the baby crying and Miriam comes walking up And she, again, nothing by chance in the kingdom of God, God's sovereignty, a divine appointment. She walks up, and look what she says. Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? So she says, you know, obviously you haven't just given birth to a baby, so you cannot nurse this baby. Would you like me to go and get a a mother for you from among the Hebrews who can nurse this baby for you? Man, I love God's plan. It's so much better than what we can think of. There's no way you could have thought of this plan ourselves, but God's plan is always perfect. So look at verse 8. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Now, she's been hiding her son so that he won't die, right? And now, instead, she's going to come walking right up to Pharaoh's daughter, and they're going to take the baby and hand her her own son and say, I want you to go home and nurse your own child. And oh, by the way, look at verse 9. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him, and I will give you your wages. Wait a minute. I get to go nurse my own child, take him home. He's safe now. Nobody's going to come and kill him, and you're going to pay me. And that's what we're going to do. Don't you love the sovereignty of God? Amen? You see how God's plan is way better than anything we could ever think of? So often we plan, and we try to make stuff happen, and we put stuff together, instead of just saying, You know what, Lord, I trust you. 
Well, put the baby in an ark. Oh, wait a minute. You know, oh, oh, you know, hey, I mean, I trust you, but not that much, right? I mean, sometimes we, we, want, we want God to give us A, B, C, D, and everything that's going to happen next, and then I'll step out in faith. Well, Lord, you know, give me another job, then I'll quit the one I have. You know, Lord, show me what's next, then I'll, I'll take the next step. And they were faithful, and they were blessed above what they could have ever even hoped for. Not only did God protect Moses, but in his perfect plan, Moses was returned to his mother, free from worry of his death, and, and Jochebed was actually paid by Pharaoh's daughter to nurse her own son. God is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's what the Bible says. You know, this is the only, only the beginning of God's ultimate plan for Moses. He's eventually going to deliver his people from, from Israel. I mean, from bondage. Deliver Israel from bondage. So the woman took the child and nursed him. What a blessing. Now I want you to see something here real quick. It's amazing to me, and we see this quite often in Scripture. Look how spiritual the women... This is all women doing this. Let me go back and look. The midwives who were told to kill the babies, what did they say? No, we're going to honor God. We're not going to do it. What about Moses' mother? No, I'm not going to do it. I'm hiding my son. What about even the Egyptian princess going contrary to the will of her father because she had compassion upon Moses? What about Moses' sister, right, following along? She could be in danger if they found out what she was doing, and instead she followed along. And you know what's neat to me? Is we know all these women's names from other parts of Scripture, but you don't see any of their names mentioned here. Because when we serve and honor God, it's not about who we are, but it's about glorifying Him. Amen? I think it's so irrelevant what someone's name is. Who cares? It's God's name that matters. Amen? So often it's, oh, we got to, you know, the worldwide ministry of, oh, who cares? It's about Jesus. Amen? It's, we're, not of, we're not of Calvary Chapel even, or we're not of Chuck Smith, and we're, not of, we're of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? If you ever come in here and see the worldwide ministry of Dave, just shoot me. I mean, just take out a gun and blow me away on the spot because I'm, I'm, I'm out of God's will. We don't want that, amen? We want to glorify and honor the Lord. And I love the anonymity of these women. You don't see their names anywhere, but they were glorifying and honoring God. And all, no doubt, were unaware of the ultimate fruit of their actions. You know, they don't realize that this act that they're doing is ultimately going to lead to the freedom of all of Israel. And sometimes it's the little things that we have no idea what's going to come, in this case, 80 years later. 80 years later is when the freedom from bondage is going to come. But right now, they're just being faithful to God with what's right in front of them. You know, sometimes as Christians, we're so anxious for what's next. You know, Lord, oh, you know, I, Lord I, I know you want to do more with me. Just show me what it is. And we're going to see that Moses goes through that. And I want to encourage you. Don't worry about what's next. Do, what, do, do and be faithful with what's now. Amen? You be faithful today, and God will use you mightily tomorrow. But so often we're waiting for that. And not until we get to heaven will we know ultimately every little thing that we've done for the kingdom of God and the ultimate fruit that came from it. You know, I love yesterday. I mean, I just love when God does this kind of stuff. I go out, and I go to the Christian bookstore, and I end up talking to this guy for an hour and a half about the Lord. And then I get in my car, and I pull into a gas station, and, and you know what's amazing is I'm horrible with names, but I'm great with faces. And I saw this guy who went to this church 20-something years ago and played on our softball team, and he came walking along, and I go, Randy! And he looks at me, and I go, I know you! 
He goes, I don't know you. I said, well, that's okay. I went over and I ended up talking to this guy about the Lord. I mean, he has not been in church in five or six years. He said, all, all churches are filled with hypocrites. He said, everywhere you go, they're also judgmental. And I said, you know what? This is a divine appointment. God sent me to hunt you down. God brought you here tonight and put you in my path. And this didn't happen by chance. And he did it because he loves you and he wants you to come home. And I promise you, if you come to our church on Sunday, we'll love all over you. I promise. So he took my card. We'll see if he shows up. But you know, the reality is that we never know what the end result is going to be of those divine appointments that come every single day. And we need to just be, be faithful and just be, have our ears and our spiritual ears and spiritual eyes open to what God is doing because He wants to use each one of us. I love this too. It says, we must learn, I put, we must learn to trust God even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Was it not a difficult circumstances for Moses' mother to do what she did? But yet she was faithful. The Bible says in Romans 8.28, I bet maybe all of you know this verse, all things work together for good for those who trust in God for those who are called according to his purpose. All things means all things. Well, I just got laid off from work. God's going to use that for his glory. i just been diagnosed with cancer. God will use that for his glory. I just lost, you know, my, one of my children is violently ill. God will use that for his glory if we will let him. Amen? All things work together for good for those who trust in God. Verse 10. And the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Now, she brings him and moves him into Pharaoh's house, and he is raised with privilege. Why is he raised with privilege? Because she adopts him as her son. His name, Moses, means to draw out. Now, she names him that because she drew him out of the water. But the reality is, he's going to be drawing the whole nation of Israel out of Egypt. Amen? She doesn't even realize when she's naming him that she's naming him prophetically. In Acts 7.20, it says, At this time Moses was born and, and was well-pleasing to God. He was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. So it's interesting that the deliverer Pharaoh had sought to destroy was instead raised and educated in his house. How does that happen? God's in control. That's how it happens. Amen? So we see that, man, he can do abundantly above all that we ask or think. God is so much, is so much greater than we can even ask for. So he's nourished, he's ed- educated, he's prepared to lead Israel by being educated by the Egyptians. So let's take a look. Now, Moses means, again, to draw out, and it's an appropriate name for the way God would use him. Now we're going to see Moses escape to Midian. Verse 11. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now when Moses was grown, we know from Acts chapter 7 that at this point Moses is 40 years old. Forty in the Bible is a number of what? Who remembers? What is it? Testing. You know, how long did it rain? Forty days and forty nights, right? How long was Jesus uh, fasting in the wilderness? Forty days, right? When you see forty in the Bible, it's a number of testing. So for forty years, he had been raised with the greatest worldly education you could possibly get. He had been raised in Egypt. He had been given every advantage you could possibly have. And now... Because of his burden for his people, he sees one of his own people being beaten. 
And having been brought up in worldly wisdom, Moses attempts to free God's people using worldly methods. Moses operating outside of God's will and God's timing. Here's what he does. He says, you know what? No doubt, as an Egyptian, he had been trained to fight. Egyptians loved archery. They loved hand-to-hand ball. So he had no doubt been trained to fight. So he'd been raised in, in intellect. He'd been raised in these different ways. And so now he tries to do God's work using worldly methods. What does that sound like? Sounds like the church today. Well, the world does it this way. This is how corporate America does it. We just need to bring corporate America into the church, and then it will be successful. Let's pattern ourselves after Microsoft. That's what we'll do. I mean, this is the way they grew. You know, they use multi-level marketing. Or, you know, and we, we go out and we try to use worldly standards to do God's will. And guess what? It doesn't work. Amen? We need to follow after Jesus Christ. We've got to fall in love with Him. It's not about programs. It's not about methods. It's about falling in love with God and being contagious. Amen? That's how the church grows. And so he tries to use worldly standards. So he goes down there and he jumps on the guy who's, who's harming one of the Hebrews and he kills the Egyptian. Moses' actions are going to be are 40 years premature because God's not ready to deliver them. It said that they must be there for 40 years. Moses needed, uh, for 400 years, and was still 40 years away. Moses, Mo, Moses needed more training. He was not ready to be the deliverer yet, as seen by his actions here. So he takes this guy and he hid him in the sand. The people needed more training in bricks and bondage to bring them to the end of themselves. And God orders things according to His infinite wisdom. He's not in a hurry, but His timing is always perfect. Sometimes we want God to be in a hurry. Hurry! Come on, Lord! Hurry! You know, I can be honest with you guys. I knew that God had called me to be a senior pastor about 12 years before it happened. God made it very clear to me. This is what you're going to do with Okay. But... There were times when I was anxious. And finally, God taught me, look, it'll happen in my timing, not yours, Dave. You just be faithful where you are. Right now, you're the youth pastor. You love those teenagers. That's what I'm telling you to do. You know, you're working the men's ministry. You minister to those guys and love them with your whole heart. Minister wherever you are. If God has more, he'll give it to you later. Amen? Don't, we don't need to hurry God's plan. We don't need to try to move it up. We just need to be faithful right where we are. Well, Moses is in a hurry. And if you're in the midst of a trial, ask God to show you what He wants you to learn from it or how He wants to use it to allow you to minister to others. Every trial is in your life for a reason. God will use it for His glory if you will let Him. So He buries this man into the sand. And you know what? It's not going to take long for His sin to find Him out. Look at verse 13. And when He went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And He said to the one who did wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then He said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. So in a very quick amount of time, Moses' sin is found out. Attempting to do things according to the flesh resulted in his being delivered to 40 years of desert training. That's what happens to Moses. Because he's out of God's will and he's doing things in his flesh, the Lord says, You know what, Moses? Mo, you're not ready. Here's what we're going to do. 40 years of desert training, because that's what you need, man. We need to get you broken. We need to get your eyes back on me. You know, you better not be trusting in your Egyptian uh, you know, studies or your intellect that you learn from the worldly system. I'm going to take you out, and I'm going to give you 40 years of the school of God on the backside of the desert. And that's exactly what happened. 
And you know, we might look and say, oh, it's a trial and he's been disqualified for ministry because he totally blew it. But God had a plan and he wanted to get Moses' heart in the right place. So he took him out of this place of prominence. He took him out of this place of privilege and he put him out into the desert where he would be broken and he would learn to trust God and God alone. Instead of God's people being delivered from bondage at that moment, it wasn't God's time. God instead was working on Moses. Verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. Now who is Moses to Pharaoh? It's his grandson. You know that Pharaoh has to be angry to want to kill Moses. But he has heard that Moses has turned and killed an Egyptian, and he sought to kill his own grandson. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, when Pharaoh heard, he sought to kill him. And here we learn two clear lessons. One, sin has consequences, and even in rebellion, God is in control of our enemy's actions. Pharaoh's threat drove Moses out of Egypt and into the, to Midian, Arabia, Sinai, and into God's classroom. God wanted to work on Moses' heart, so God allowed Pharaoh's heart to be turned against him, to seek after to kill him, and causing him to flee right into the place God wanted him to be. And he ends up out in the desert, and God says, Moses, I've been waiting for you. We're going to spend a little time together. We're going to get your heart in the right place. Look at verse 16. Now, he goes out and he sits down by a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water, and they filled the troughs of water to water their father's flocks. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Now, the priest of Midian, his name is Ruel in this case, or Jethro, it's the same guy. And the Midianites were descendants of Abraham and Keturah. Keturah was the wife after Sarah of Abraham. Note the humility and industriousness of these young women. They are the daughters of the priest of Midian, and what are they doing? They're out watering the sheep. Throughout being industrious and serving. As Christians, we are to be hard workers. Laziness is a sin. Did you know that? The Bible says so. Read Proverbs. Laziness is a sin. The Bible says a lazy man will say, there's a lion in the street. There's a lion in the street. I can't work today. There's a lion in the street. They'll give every excuse and every reason in the world not to go out and be faithful. Bible very clearly tells us that a man who does not work shall not eat. And you see that these women who are raised by the priests of Midian, Jethro, who we'll see later as a godly man who will instruct Moses, and they were industrious and hardworking young women. It says in ver- the next verse there that the shepherds came to drive them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. It's interesting that Moses' act of protecting their daughters while they were Securing water was his third incident in which he sought to deliver others from harm. Remember earlier, he had already fought one person. He had already tried to get in the middle one more time. And here he is again. Moses is not afraid to stand up for people. Moses had no problem standing up and taking the flack for somebody else. And you know what? This is deliverer training. God was teaching him to be a man who could stand up to the prince of Egypt. To be the man who could stand up to Pharaoh. By putting him in situations and giving him an opportunity. You know what? I guarantee you, Greg Laurie's first time sharing the gospel was not in front of 30,000 people at Anaheim Stadium. It's those people who are faithful to minister at work that God's going to give a greater platform. It's those people who are faithful in the small things that God will use in the greater things. And right here we see Moses is being trained. And you know what, I love this because 
This anticipates his future, but through the midst of this horrendous trial, running for his life, he still wanted to minister to others. You've got to remember, Moses is running for his life. His life's been threatened, and he's running away, and in the midst of it, he comes to a well, he sees harm coming to these young women. The easiest thing would have been, look, I've got enough problems of my own, tough on them. And sometimes, we can make that same mistake. Well, you know, you, oh, I understand what you're going through, but hey, I've got troubles of my own. You know, where does joy come from? J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. Put Jesus first, others second, yourself last, you'll understand what joy's about. Moses, though he had blown it and committed murder, we see here, though, that God is preparing him. And is, even though he's in the midst of a difficult trial, he's still looking to minister to others. Now, this is an example of what we are called to do, guys. I want to say something to you as men and priests in your households. What do we see Moses do in this verse? He does two things. One, he drives the enemy away. In our home, we are called to be the spiritual leader and to drive out the things that are contrary to God's will in our home. If it's TV programs that are on, music that's being played, stuff that's being done, words that are being spoken, as the spiritual leaders in our household, God has called us, and we will be accountable before God one day to be the ones to step up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and that's going to go. We're not going to do that. Do it lovingly and do it kindly, but do it. The number one problem in the homes today is men will not be the spiritual leader in their house. They're afraid to teach the word to their wives and kids. They're afraid to pray for their children. They're afraid to stand up. And they abdicate that position to their wives. And you know what, women? You're not less than your husband. You're just called differently. You're not less. You're equal. You're, God loves you as much. You're as, poor, as, very, as, bit, as bit as important to the home. But you're not called to be the spiritual leader in your house. Your husband is. And you encourage him to be the spiritual leader. And you know what? If we will be spiritual leaders in our home, our marriages will be great. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, we're to sanctify our home by the washing of the water of the Word of God. What does Moses do after he drives the enemy out? He waters the flock. It's a picture of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to drive the enemy out of our house, and then we're supposed to water our home through the washing of the water of the Word of God. Amen? Moses gives us a clear example. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And I love the reaction of these young women because we know that Moses was a good-looking guy. It says he was beautiful. It says he was fair to look. I mean, there's several places. Moses is a good-looking guy. Can you imagine these women out in the desert working out in the dust and they're going to the well, probably not seeing a lot of guys, and if they are, they're probably not real sharp and living out in the dirt, right? So they go out there to the, to the well, and this guy, they're getting, they're getting whooped up on by these other shepherds, real nice guys, and out comes Moses, right? I mean, I can just see the scene. He comes out with a stick and just starts wailing on these guys, right? Get out of here. And then when he's done, he starts getting water for their whole flock. Now, this is not an easy task. This probably took a couple hours, not a couple minutes. He gets all the water and waters their flock. You'd think they'd go, ooh, Moses, I like Moses. We seven of them. I saw him first, right? I mean, you know, that's, that's what they do in that Ten Commandments. That's not scriptural. But in Ten Commandments, they're all fighting over him. Oh, he's mine. I know I saw him first, right? And they're all trying to look as pretty as they can. But what happens is, that's not what happens at all. What they did is they went home. They didn't try to bring him home. Nothing. These were godly women. These were godly women who did not try to grab themselves a husband. They knew that God had someone for them. And, and you know what? I love that. They just went home. You listen, Ashley? just went home. It's good. <laughs> Picking on my daughter. Didn't mean to embarrass you, sweetheart, but bring him to our house. Let me talk to him first. That's what we need to do. So now, <laughs> the priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water, and the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood and helped them and watered their flock. Then they came to a well, their father, and said, 
He said, how is it that you came so soon today? How did you get the flock watered so quick? So not only did Moses water the flock for him, but he was, he was quick about it. He was serious about ministering to these women. How did you get home so quickly? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, and where is he? Why is it that you have, not, that you have left the man? Call him that he may come and eat bread. Their dad had to send them back to go get Moses. I like that. These women were not seeking out. They were waiting for the person God had for them. They were waiting for the approval even of their own father. So Moses heroes and brought him favor in the eyes of his future father-in-law. And the women, I love the women's modesty. They waited and when he came, then they brought, when they brought him back, we see that the father is the one that examines his heart. Verse 21, Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. Now, verse 21, And she bore him a son, and called his name Gershom, and she said, I have, and he said, I have had a stranger in a foreign land. Now, these two verses move past some of the important details, but I want to make it clear. He spent 40 years in that wilderness. And we know this when we look at the, the Acts account and the Hebrews account of it. But we, not, we must not overlook that during that time it was toilsome. That he had the thankless life of a shepherd. He was a sheep herder. He went from being a potential pharaoh to a sheep herder. He went from being having all the riches and wealth in Egypt to being out in the dirt watching a bunch of sheep. He went from a place of heavy, heavy influence to a place of where the people that he's watching, the things he's watching over can't even talk back. He's walking around with a stick in the dirt. That's what he's doing. But I love what it says here. And Moses was content. He was content. You know why? Because when we're walking with God, our contentment does not come from worldly circumstances, but it comes from walking with God. He was content. As Christians, our contentment should come from our position in Christ, not our position with the world. And you know what? He was more content in the desert hanging out with God than he was in Egypt, walking with the world. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. We should be, have peace. Through the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace. Are you content tonight? If you're not, it's a spiritual problem. If you're thinking, I've got to have something else. If I could just get that, then I'll be happy. That's a spiritual problem. Because getting that will not make you happy unless you're right with God. If you're walking with Him, if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're, if you're in love with Jesus Christ, you'll know contentment. He named His son, and His name means stranger there. He had a child born to Moses while he was an alien in a foreign land. But, no, more, but again, Moses was content to be right where he was, but God was preparing him for something more. Moses didn't try to accomplish God's will in the flesh, but instead waited for God's calling. We're going to see God's calling in Moses' life next week. And we're going to see how God works. And when God calls you, you don't have to wonder about it. I can tell you that there's, there's many things that I've struggled with in my life, without question. But I'll tell you one thing that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know. I know that I know that I know that I'm called to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. I absolutely know. 
There's not a doubt in my mind. There's no question in my mind. I've been called by God to do it. It has nothing to do with my ability. It has nothing to do with anything about me. It has to do with God and His perfect will and His perfect plan. And all I'm trying to do is obey Him and let Him use a weak and unworthy vessel like me for His glory. But I know that I'm called. And when you know that you're called, when the trials come, it doesn't matter because not my problem, it's God's problem. Amen? If God's called you to do it, then He'll equip you to do it. God doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. Where God guides, God provides. If God is calling you to do something, He'll equip you to do it. Ask Hav. Hav says, oh, I can't lead worship, Dave. No way. I, I knew He was called. You're doing it. God's equipped them. Amen? Some of you guys, on Friday mornings, I'm watching God calling you to be someone who teaches the Bible on a regular basis because I'm watching you guys teach the Bible. I'm seeing God gifting you supernaturally to do it, and I know God's going to use it for His glory. And when I see that, I say, oh, there it is. That's, that's it. And a burden is a spawning ground of a calling. When God gives you a heart to do something, that's God, His Holy Spirit, working in your heart to do it. Amen? When you want to do it, but you, there's fear and trembling that comes with it, that's the Lord. Amen? He's just saying, step out, do it. Do it. Dig a well. Let's see what happens. Amen? And when you do it, watch fruit. When we're called by God and we're faithful to God, then fruit happens. Healthy sheep beget healthy sheep, and they get healthy when somebody is called by God. And you know what's scary? There's nothing scarier than someone propping up somebody who's not called by God to do something. It's painful for the person who's trying to do it, and it's painful for the people that they're trying to minister to. Amen? It's not good. You know what? My number one most important thing to me when I look for somebody for ministry is heart. I don't care about ability. Ability means nothing. Give me heart. Our worship team in San Jose and our youth group, we had this guy that was, that was gifted beyond measure. But you know what? He knew it, and he thought it was all about him. He'd get up in front of our youth group and do worship, and it was, it was his show, man. And wow, 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 you know, all this stuff. I'm like, bro, you know, reverb and, you know, and it, no worship, no worship. And, you know, he had all this, he had this sound equipment he brought in, and, you know, and I, and I, I became the youth pastor, and, and he was already there. And one week of that, I go, oh, come here. We're going to talk. Come here. <laughs> Bro, it ain't about you. Oh, man, I'm going to talk to Pastor Don. I've been worshiping. I've been doing this a long time before you got here. And I'm gonna... I said, Bro, let me tell you right now. You've got two choices. You can either start worshiping God, or you're done. Because it ain't about you. And you're, touch not the wine, touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the glory. And you're touching God's glory with what you're doing. And I took this kid who had been playing a guitar about three weeks, who loved Jesus, and I tore that whole band down, all sick. I said, you guys are done. They went, no, we're going to, no, you're not going to do any of that. We're not doing any of that. That's not what we're doing. Hey, how long have you been playing guitar? Three weeks? You're up next week. You're leading worship. Kid got up there, sat on a stool, could barely play the guitar. But you know what? He had a great heart. And I saw 80 kids worship. It wasn't you know, the Bill and Ted show or whatever, right? It was, we're going to, and the guy closed his eyes and he worshiped and everybody joined him. And you know what? When you're called by God, it's about your heart. It's not about your ability because where God guides, God provides. If God wants to use you, he'll equip you to do it. Amen? Praise God for that. It's not about us. Lastly, real quick, and I'm going over. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage and they cried out and the cry came up to God's God because of their bondage. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. What happened is 
the people of Israel were finally brought to the end of themselves and they cried out to God. Without conviction, there can be no conversion. Until we see that we're in bondage to our sin, we'll see no need for a Savior. Until we finally realize that in our physical flesh, there's nothing I can do to get myself out of this mess. We've all got to come to that place. And the problem is that too often again, and I'm not trying to rip on other churches, but there are churches that won't tell people they're sinners. And until, you're a sin, until you know you're a sinner, you'll see no need for a Savior. And we've got to not water down the gospel. Christianity, you cannot have Christ without the cross. Amen? You can't just have, oh, well, just believe, it's okay. No, you have to, the Bible says, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We've got to die first. When we come forward to get saved, we need to come weeping, not dancing. Amen? Why? Because we're broken over the fact that we're desperate for God. God brought Israel to that place. They finally got to the place where they're crying out, and they're saying, we're in bondage, we're helpless, God help us. Why had they been put in bondage to begin with? Because they had walked away from God. And now God has brought them to the end of themselves. It took 400 years. So he's preparing the messenger, the people that are going to receive the message, and at the same time, he's preparing the messenger in Moses. Moses has been in the wilderness 40 years. Next week, we're going to see God appear to him in the burning bush, and he's going to give him a calling and say, I want you to go back and save those people. I want you to go back. So while he's preparing Moses, he's been preparing the people of Israel to come to the end of themselves. And that's when salvation occurs. When God prepares the message, and he prepares the messenger. So in review, we saw the birth and protection of Moses. We saw God's sovereignty at work. We saw Moses escape into Midian because he attempted to do things in the flesh that can only be done in the spirit. And lastly, we saw his marriage and contentment in the desert because he was seeking after God. And he was willing to stay right where God had him. That's a man that God can use. Do you have a song for us, Hob? Let me close with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, for the example of Moses. May we learn, Father God, to be content wherever we are. May we learn, Father God, that it's not about our flesh or our will or our passions. May we not take the things that the world has taught us and try to use them to draw people unto you. But instead, Father God, may we be people that are on our face before you, praying for those we would minister to. May, we, may we be, our eyes be wide open to the divine appointments you bring into our lives every single day. And Father, I just pray that we would learn like Moses did, to be content even when we're in the desert, to be content when we're going through trials, knowing, Lord, you're going to use it to conform us to your image and to make us into the men and women of God you've called us to be. Lord, we love you. We praise you, Lord. You're such an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship.